back in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplying and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. And then in chapter 12, uh, verses 40 and 42, we read this. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on the very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is the, it is the night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all that the children of Israel throughout their generations. And then in verse um, 37, we see a number. Uh, So 430 years, and the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides the children, which equates to about two and a half to three million. I had fun. If any of you are mathematicians or just want to have fun with it, Assume that every 25 years the nation's going to double and go take the 70 people, figure out how many couples you think are there, and let them have two children each, and then go ahead and go every 25 years and double that number, and you come out. I came out with 2,496,000 in the parameters that I use. So it is possible that that would happen. And then one more from chapter 12, verses 35 and 36. Um, Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Asked for gifts in accordance with God's word. Back at the burning bush in chapter 3, Verses 21 and 22, we read, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so that you shall plunder the Egyptians. And then he reminded them of of that in chapter 11 when he was talking about the last of the plagues in verses 2 and 3. He says, Speak now in the hearing of the people and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver, articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Much of Egypt's wealth was thereby given to the nation. So after Joseph's death, a change in the um, Egyptian dynasty, and Israel is now a nation of slaves. But Israel did, and Israel has always kept the records of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the promise. In chapter 12, the last two verses, we read, Thus all the children of Israel did, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. In chapter 13, 
we saw that God gave them a route in verses 17 and 18. Not the shortest route. The shortest route, you would have had to go by some garrisons of Egypt, and you would have had to go through the land of the Philistines. But he took them a different way. And so verse 17 of chapter 13, then it, then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that is near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And then in verses 21 and 22, God protects his people. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud nor uh, by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So we see in these three chapters, chapters 12, 13, and 14, really the climax of the Old Testament. The, the salvation of Israel through the blood, the Passover, which we looked at last week, and the power of the Red Sea crossing the baptism as the central event of the Old Testament as the cross and the resurrection are the central events of the New Testament. So let's read chapter 14, the first nine verses. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pahathoth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered. By the land, the wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and the servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots, and he took his people with him. Also he took six hundred choice chariots, and all the chariots of Egypt, and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with bondage. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea besides Piharoth before Baal-Zephon. The Lord is leading. It looks like a mistake to Pharaoh. The route is taking down into a valley with a sea in front of him, not taking the short, well-traveled road. It's like Israel is bewildered. What a trap, Pharaoh is thinking. We know the story, so we know that God is thinking, what a trap, I've said. The wilderness has shut them in. What a setup. And then Pharaoh asks, in verse, in, uh, verse uh, 5, what I think is actually a ridiculous question. Why have we done this? Why have we let the people go? I can think of ten good reasons that he let them go. <laughs> Pharaoh's heart was again turned against them. Remember last week when Pastor Brandon, he, got, he said, God used those plagues 
to say, Pharaoh, you're not in charge. All their gods were good gods, right gods, but Yahweh was a fraud. That was their mindsets. That's what they were doing. But God showed them, and we read over and over, so they would know that he is God. We saw the Lamb of God, the cross on the door, the power of God we can appropriate for now and for later. There were seven things that you were encouraged to do this week. I wonder how many of you did some of them. Let me remind you of some of them. You were to pray Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, specifically for spiritual wisdom. You were to read the Gospels. You were to listen to worship. You were to practice some rituals, maybe get down on your knees. You were to take communion. And you were to have what we had tonight, Campfire Fellowship, where you tell your story of God's love for you. How'd you guys do? Did you do a good job on those things? Those were encouraging things. They're really good things to do. Try it. You will like it. I mean, it really does work. I, uh, I thank you for those, those things, and I still am trying to bless people. Bless? You guys remember that one? What was it? Amen? Okay, we'll leave it there. Some of you will have, some of you will have to go listen to the CD. You know, this demonstrates for us, this story, how quick we forget what God has done for us and what he has shown us. So quickly we move from walking in the spirit and victory to walking in the flesh. Pharaoh is sending 600 chariots, choice chariots. Egypt at this time was the most powerful nation on the earth. These choice chariots were probably ones with a driver and two fighters on them. So there were three people in there. But it, was, it had all the military might of a world power. In verse 8, we say, but, but still Israel went out with boldness. That word is interesting, the word boldness. They went out with boldness. In the Hebrew, it says, with rebellion. You know, that's good when you do it against Pharaoh or against the enemy. If I go out against, or go out away from Pharaoh, go out against the enemy with a little bit of a rebellious attitude, that can be pretty good. But when I do it against God, it's bad. So in verse 9, we read that the Egyptians pursued them. Let's look at verses 10 to 12. And then Pharaoh drew near, and the children of God lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there, uh, there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. Israel rebels. You know, it's only been two verses since they were having that great victory, and now they're rebelling. It made sense for Israel to be afraid. There was a lot to be afraid of, and which, according to the outward observation. The, word, the words there where it said it lifted up their eyes means that they looked on and they focused on their problems. They took their eyes off of Moses and off of the Lord and off of the things that were being told to them, and they lifted up their eyes and they looked at the things of the circumstances of the world, the things that were causing them problems. 
And then we see that they grumbled a little bit. This is actually the first instance of grumbling and complaining for the Israelites. Grumbling would become a major problem for them as a people as they go through the wilderness, constantly coming to a place of murmuring and grumbling as they went on their journey. So Israel was in serious trouble. Pharaoh's army is on one side, the mountain on the other side, the Red Sea on the other side or in front of them. Seemingly no chance of escape. Their fear could be understood. You know, and as we face things in life today, sometimes we do become fearful, sometimes anxious. Okay, we won't say fearful because that kind of makes us sound like we're not strong. But we become anxious. We become fretful. We become caught up in worrying about it. How's this going to happen? How's it going to play out? So their cry to the Lord made sense. Yet their words to Moses show a great lack of faith and a loss of faith and confidence in God. They cried out to the Lord. A good thing to do when there's trouble. God is our refuge and our strength, a present help in trouble, Psalms 46. You know, we sometimes think when we've gone through a great victory or we've changed our lifestyle and we've left the enemy's camp, that he's going to leave us alone. That he's not going to be after us anymore because we won that battle. Now he knows he can't get us. Wrong. That is not the way it works. He is going to keep coming after us. Just like Pharaoh is Israel, the enemy is going to keep coming after us to destroy us if he can. And so Moses responds in verses 13 and 14. So Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Don't be afraid. Now at this point, Moses could have no idea how God would bring them through this situation. He knew they were going to get through it, but he didn't know how. But he knew God would certainly come through. Stand still. Moses told the people of Israel to stop. Often this is the direction that we get from God. Stand still. Wait. Trust in me. I don't know about you. I have a real difficult time with that one. We know when I know that I'm supposed to wait on God to solve a problem or get me through a situation or give me words for a particular thing I'm facing, I don't sometimes do what I know that he's telling me to do. I go and I talk to people and I say, what do you think about this and that? And I try to come up with a plan and a strategy. And that's just the kind of person I am. None of you, I'm sure, do that. But this is one of the hardest things I think that any of us can ever have to face is stand still. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Those are things that are so hard, but we are instructed over and over and over again to stand still, to be still and know that I am God and take courage in that. Stand still, Moses told the people of Israel. Sometimes it's hard. So here's the people. If they despair, it will keep you from standing. When we, when we are despairing, 
we often want to sit down. We often want to stay under the covers and just curl up and just be kind of by ourselves. Fear will make us usually want to retreat. We want to get out of this situation. Impatience will tell you to do something and do it now, which could be the very wrong thing. And assuming will tell you to jump in the water now. Don't wait for something to happen, but just jump in the water. God told Israel, stand still as he revealed his plan. How often has he said the same thing to me and to you, and then he has revealed the plan to us. Those are stories that I think some of us have that we need to share with other people around the dinner table, around the campfire, if you will. Hey, there was a time when I had this situation and I wanted to go smack that guy, but the Lord said to be still. Yeah, it happens. I want to be still and know that I am God. I want to take revenge, but revenge is mine, saith the Lord. Sit still and let me take care of this situation. And then when he does, don't be prideful about it. Don't say, yeah, you know. So there's a lot of good things here, but we so often just don't know how to stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. Moses didn't know what God was going to do, but he knows there was going to be good results. He knew that God would save the people and the enemies of the Lord would be destroyed. He could say to Israel, the Lord will fight for you. And he may have been remembering the promise. That promise had been taught and passed down. And I'm sure Moses, of all the people, knew it so well. Verse 14, he says, Hold your peace. But they had nothing to say to add to this event. And that's another thing that's hard to do, especially when someone tells you to do it. Now we're going to go into this situation, and I know it's troubled you, but I want you to sit there, and I want you to just be quiet. Why? Yeah, I don't want you to speak up. I want you to, we're going to pray, and we're going to counsel, we're going to talk about this, and I don't want you to say anything. I, just, I want you to just trust in the Lord. What? You don't want me to say anything in this situation? That's a hard thing for us to do. It's a hard, hard, hard thing for us to let somebody defend us and let us do that. So now God parts the Red Sea. Let's look at verse 15 to the end of the chapter. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel, go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the heart of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over the army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and a darkness for the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. 
And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning, watch, that the Lord looked down upon the army of Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels <laughs> so that they drove with difficulty. And the, and the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for, the, for, fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, and the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to the full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their hands, and on, the, on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the land of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. He asked the question there in verse 15, Why do you cry to me before the people? Moses was full of faith. Moses had stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But now he's crying before the Lord. He cried out in a desperate prayer. And I like the honesty of the way this is recorded. You know, sometimes we can say everything is going great in public. Sometimes those of us that are in different leadership roles, we need to say that. We need to say, how's it going? It's going great. Now, things could be just absolutely falling apart, but the person asking us is from the public or from a parent at the school. How's it going today, Linda? Oh, it's going great, you know? Now the, you know, the, the power's off in the main room and the, the gym flooded last night and it goes on and on and on. So it can be that we express ourselves one way in showing our faith, but then honestly we come before the Lord and we cry out to Him because we have confidence in Him. We can pray and fast over the same situation that in the public we say, everything's just going great. Don't we do that from time to time? Don't we have the ability as leaders and especially as Christians to be able to say, things are going great because we know God will save the people. But then we go home, we get on our face, and we cry out to the Lord, Oh God, help me, because you know, I know that you, I, I've spoken for you, I know what you said in your word, and I believe it. I don't see it, but I need your help, and so we should go pray and fast. But then God says, tell them to go forward. You know, prayer is good. And some of us can be sitting around all day long praying. I'm praying about it. Well, we'd like to send some people to Houston. Well, I'll be praying about it. Well, we'd like to send some people on some short-term missions trips. Well, I'll, I'll pray about it. Well, I'd like to join the men's group at church here. Well, yeah, I'll be praying about it. We can do that for a while, but then there's a time when we need to step out. There's a time when we need to take action. In verse 18, the Egyptians, the, uh, the Lord is um, trying to answer one of Pharaoh's questions. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. God was not finished answering this question yet. You would think that Pharaoh, after the ten plagues, would know 
that the Lord is the Lord. But it's not quite. In Exodus 5.2 he said, Pharaoh asked, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? God used this miracle of parting the Red Sea to speak to Egypt, but much more to the people of Israel. So he's speaking to both groups of people that are here. Pharaoh is going to get the answer to his question, Who is the Lord that I should listen to him? In verses 19 and 20, talks of the same Lord who was leading and guiding, but was able to go behind and protect. Egypt would have been wise to heed this one last warning. Can you imagine the army looking at, the, at Israel with this big cloud, this big fire? They're saying, come, you can't come here now. You're going to have to wait until a better time. So the sea is parted and Israel is crossing over on dry ground. And this is so important, it's repeated. It also says it in verse 29. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on the left hand. In verse 21, he stretched out his hand. Remember, he's saying, see what God will do. The Lord here is bringing victory. There was no apparent escape before the water parted, but the Lord opened the path through the sea. And sometimes that's something I think that we find ourselves in. We have been in places, we have been in messes, where there just seems to be no way out. Um, I can remember a couple of those where in life's lessons for me, that I saw no way out of the situation I was in, and I needed to just wait and find out what was going to happen. We get caught up in a problem and we see no way out. Don't panic. God can handle it. And then verse 23 and 28, we see Egyptians last hurrah. Uh, can you imagine being in their army? Can you imagine, guys, being a soldier in Pharaoh's armies? You've just seen the ten plagues on the nation. You probably lost a son or a daughter, a firstborn for sure. That happened to you. You're looking at this fire and this cloud that's separating the, them from you. Now you see the sea split wide open and a wall on the left and on the right. And then Pharaoh says, charge. <laughs> you know, what's up with that? How in the world would you go do that? So God takes off the chariot wheels. They had to drive with great difficulty. <clears throat> My bride has a, a thing that she uses sometimes for us in our family or sometimes in church and sometimes different situations where she says, you know, sometimes a wheel has to fall off before we pray. Sometimes two wheels have to fall off before we get serious and really take action and fast and pray. And so here the wheels are falling off. They had a difficult time driving them. Now they flee, but it's too late. The water comes back and it overthrows them. Not even one of them made it back. The victory over Egypt is complete. And really, that is the end or the demise of them as a world power. But in verse 30, I like the way and the simplicity of this word that it starts. Verse 30 starts with this, so, so the Lord saved. That's what it says in the New King James. But in the King James, in the ESV, it says thus. And in the NLT, it says that is how. How simple a phrase, a word 
to say this is what just took place. This great thing just took place, and, and it's so simple. There's a story of a, a kindergarten girl in her class. The teacher asked, uh, can anyone tell me how God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt? And all the hands went up because everybody knew the story from, the story from Sunday school. But one eager little girl stood up, raised her hand more than the others. And so the teacher said, okay, give me the answer. And she said, just fine. (laughs) Just fine. He brought him out just fine. He was totally in control. For us, like we hear God saying, I got this. When we're in situations, we need to listen for God telling us, I got this. We so often forget that God has the situation with our life, with our kids, with our finances, with our jobs, with every aspect of our life. God's got it. It's, he's got it. He's going to do it just fine. So what a wonderful story this is of his wisdom, his perfect understanding of the people involved and the methods he used. What a wonderful story of his might with, uh, with his power in dealing with Egypt. What a wonderful story, even of his patience with Pharaoh, giving him chance after chance to stop. And with Israel being patient with him, even after their lack of faith over and over. Thus, he saved them, or he saved them, that is how he did it. They had nothing to boast about except their God. They were told to not say a word And we have nothing to boast about, nothing with which we can boast, except that we have such a God as they did. And in that we can boast as it brings praise and glory to God. And it keeps us from that self-confidence that weakens and destroys our, our witness. When we turn everything to what God did, it's a wonderful thing. It brings glory to God. But when we start to take credit for it, when we say, boy, the Lord did this through me, or I did this, or we accomplished that, it's tough. One of the things that came out of this story, though, is in the next chapter in the Song of Moses, in chapter 15, verses 14 and 16, you can see what it did to the other people. As you tell your testimony, I think other people will have a response. These people were afraid. So chapter 15, verse 14 The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. So the Philistines will be afraid. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab trembled will take hold of them. And the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall upon them by the greatness of your arm. So God's victory here was going to be something that would scare the people they were going to do. So some things for us to remember from this story. In the first 19 verses, Israel was cared for. Providence of God. God sees before the events. He knows all. God knew Pharaoh's plan and what was going to be the outcome. In verses 19 and 20, God came between Israel and her enemy. God will come between us and our enemies. The angel and the pillar of fire. Verses 21 to 25, God went ahead, he opened the way, and he did the impossible. Next time you're in an impossible situation, remember this story. 
Israel did. The Psalms are full of recounting it. Egypt got the message. They never forgot this victory. Israel continues to tell this story today, 3,400 years or so after it happened. 3,400 years, this story has been utmost in the nation of Israel. They tell it over and over and over. They remember it on special days during the year. Israel continues to tell that story. And then in verses 26 to 31, God finished it. The enemy's defeat was complete. The nation's salvation was secured. So the the exodus from Egypt was a real historical event. But it prefigures some of the works of Christ and the church and his people. What God did through Moses was to provide a physical salvation from physical slavery. What God does through Christ is to provide spiritual salvation for a spiritual slavery. That's what he's done for us. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt, but we are slaves to sin. Jesus said in John 8, Truly, truly, I say to you and to everyone, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So, of the son, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The passing through the Red Sea is symbolic of the believer's identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We remember that in baptism. When we do that, we talk about the death and the burial and the resurrection. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Paul is giving the exodus from Egypt a Christological reading. He is making the connection between the exodus from Egypt and salvation in Christ. In Romans 6, he says it like this, All were baptized into Moses, just as the Israelites were baptized into Moses, so too are Christians baptized into Christ. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What a great story for all of us who are facing impossible things in our lives. What a great story to remember that God loves us and is in control of our situations. What a great story to remember when we don't see the outcome. We can't figure it out. We can't lay it down on a piece of paper and just write it out and say, this is what's going to happen. This is a great story for us to remember. It's worth rereading. And I've shared with you before, I think one of the best ways to learn, I don't know if this is educationally correct or not, but when you've heard something or when you've read something at school or in a study like this, go home, take a deep breath, and just read it through. Don't try to stop and figure the whole thing out, but read it through one more time before you go to bed tonight, and it helps cement it into into your memory. So let's close with this as we go to communion, and so I'll ask the worship team to come on up. Redemption is a key word in the book of Exodus. In chapter 6, we read, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. 
I will rescue you from the bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out of from under the bondage of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give to you this land as a heritage. And then in chapter 19, we read, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all, above all, for the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. When we are baptized, we know that we are symbolically recognizing our redemption. We have been bought with a price like we saw last week with the Passover Our victory over bondage, we are born again to a new creation. And our victory over the past, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new.